So up next on the You Ain't Enough New podcast, this gentleman has travelled all over the world for the work that he does. Now, I've seen some photos, so I'm going to make a few guesses here. Istanbul, Canada, France, Cuba, Ireland, the list does go on. He has worked in probably every video medium that you can imagine, from ads to documentaries. He probably must have done it all at this stage. Working with household names, local businesses, and maybe just messing about, he has cultivated his craft to be a man that is in demand. Michael Fitzpatrick, how are you, sir? What an intro. God, I don't know if I've ever been described as uh, as nicely as that. Thank you. One does try. One does try. Do you know what I mean? Honesty is my policy here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Appreciate that. We're going to just jump straight in. How does it feel to work with massive brands like Guinness, Apple? And I suppose, obviously, you work with them because, or, you know, obviously you pitch in and, you know, not in terms of price or whatever, but some of the work you've done previously obviously is a testament to, you know, that you're good at it. Do mm-hmm. you feel that it's just another job? Is it a privilege? Well, let me start off by saying that the Apple one that you would have seen on uh, my socials is mm-hmm. what we call in the industry a spec ad. So it's okay. it's something that you create to show prospective clients that you're able to do work to a standard of, you know, uh, a certain company that, you oh, know, is, okay. Is, is ambitious so when, when every day is a learning day yeah absolutely man. So <laughs> for me that, anyway that uh, that apple video that i think you're talking about was um one that i just created with some ai uh animation software um and yeah it's, it's not something that i ever sent to apple nor did they reach out to me about it or anything like <laughs> that but it's, it's more of a kind of a, an experiment to, to mm-hmm. kind of test your skills so guinness then as well i i don't know what it is on my profile about guinness I have worked the as part of the cruise. Oh yeah, man! So that was actually the first spec I ever did. Now, funnily enough, we're kind of getting straight into my the timeline of my career here. But uh, <laughs> I I made that surge ad years and years ago, 2017, 2016 kind of time, and a local business uh, saw that and they were like one of these coffee containers you know they're like uh, converted shipping containers yes of course coffee machine in there yeah so one of them one of the employees there saw that and they were like oh like would you do a video for us so i went in shot the video on my phone edited it together put some nice music on it then another local business saw that and said oh would you do a video for us and i was like okay this is this is interesting you know uh, and i was in second third year of college at the time mm-hmm. not expecting to go into professional creative services and um this next business was an off license and they said how much for a video and i mm-hmm. said i don't uh has 150 you know just chats ma'am had no idea no frame of reference for it and they were like yeah perfect so spent ages on the video and uh, they were delighted with it but that was the first ever paid ad i did and that was uh, i'd say eight years ago this stage maybe seven you've come a long way since then you know there's been a lot more things you have worked on and we- we'll sort of go through it I'm going to throw you into, I really don't know how to phrase this question, okay? Video has become the dominant form across all media, across a lot of art forms, okay? Mm-hmm. We see, it was obviously YouTube, perhaps originally, other than people messing about with camcorders. And now we have TikTok. And, you know, people are making a few quid on it. If you, you know, post constantly and you're semi-funny or you're attractive or a lot of other reasons, Okay. How does your work, for anybody who doesn't really know your stuff, how does your work differentiate from somebody who's just doing stuff for their iPhone? Interesting. Good question, that. Um, yeah, I mean, like, perspective and experience has to count for something. 
it's kind of hard to consider until I've got like two videos in front of me that I can point at and like mm. uh, identify the differences between them. But how does my work differ from that of somebody picking up a phone? Yeah, I, I guess it's probably like a combination of things. Um, and as I said, like perspective um, and experience, just like I suppose technical skills with knowing um, what looks good and how to make something sound good. Editing was kind of always one of the parts of the process that I was most interested in. Um, apart from that, yeah, it's it's a difficult one to answer, to be honest, man, because I, I want to be like, I suppose, uh, I, I don't want to be discouraging of people who are just getting started and they've only got their phone because I was that guy too, as I said. So I think the only thing that separates me from somebody like that is, uh, as I say, experience and my own personal perspective, which is, I suppose, what every artist has and, and tries to leverage in order to differentiate themselves from all the other artists and and get hired and make a living out of doing something creative okay i'm gonna put this question to you then do mm -hmm. you think that 10 20 years down the line and i know technology will advance and you know cameras get more high spec and we'll be able to do more things with ai mm -hmm. do you think that somebody on their phone will eventually just take your job and, and okay. of course you probably do stuff on your phone and you probably have apps that you can use as well is it just that perspective of years of working on it that would sort of set you out from the rest yeah this is something that i've thought about a good bit recently like mm -hmm. i i think when it comes to most creative jobs like artificial intelligence is only really going to serve as tools to um i suppose you know uh, manifest the creative vision that they have already mm -hmm. um it's definitely the case i've seen already like logo designers are, are getting replaced by mid-journey like concept artists, like anybody with a mid-journey account can visualize something complex in a matter of a couple of minutes, um, which would have otherwise taken um, a, a concept artist or a logo designer potentially weeks. So I think AI is to like visual creative jobs what the drone was to helicopters. It's just making it way more accessible to the people who probably would want to access it anyway but will it like i don't think ai will at least at least not anytime too soon like have a kind of a creative direction and know how to use itself like maybe it will though maybe like there'll be some really sophisticated model that you can just say you know come up with a a marketing campaign for nike that incorporates these themes hmm. and is on these platforms and in these countries and you know it just is able to assimilate all of that information and, and uh, give you back something really comprehensive and effective but sorry to answer your question i feel like sorry apologies jack i it's feel okay, like it's fine it's fine it's fine you questions, know? I'm, I'm trying to answer them in a really roundabout way and trying to be like <laughs> tell you everything i know make a good answer. politician michael <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm fucking skirting around the questions <laughs> uh unintentionally though mind um so yeah, to answer your question, what would be the difference in, say, 10, 20 years with AI if somebody would be able to create the kind of things mm. that I create now much faster and just with, like, yeah, with less barriers? Like, I like, think that's definitely going to be the case, yeah. Put like this, we'd like to, well, I'd like to hope that a computer doesn't, won't be able to, you know, like, so I, beside me here is my window, right? And I look out the window and I can see things that, you know, you'll not be able to see and you'll see, have a different perspective than that. But I don't think, or I'd like to hope not, that in the years to come, that a computer or a robot won't be able to creatively 
but who knows? Who knows? Who knows? You know? Yeah. Spooky, <laughs> man. Spooky times. But you've yeah. traveled all over the world. Is there a project where you've traveled? Now, it just could, could be here in Ireland or it could be somewhere miles away that you've worked on that you've really liked that's sort of given you a different perspective on mm. not, not necessarily life, but perhaps the subject matter you're working on. Yeah. So is, is this question more tailored towards like a project or like a place? We'll go for place. I think the most uh, transformative travel experience I've ever had was when I was in, I think, I think it was at the end of second year or maybe the end of third year college. I uh, went to Japan alone mm-hmm. uh, for the summer. And that was something that if I had thought of, thought about for longer, I may not have done it. You know, it was right. I like, not that it was on a whim or anything, you know, I'd, I'd, um, had friends older brothers who had been not solo um and then i knew a girl from the town that i was at that had gone relatively solo and i didn't have much japanese going over and i didn't have much money so it was an interesting experience to say the least and i was so young and and so i don't know i guess just ambitious too Uh, and i went over there and i was working in a bar and also making vlogs about my life uh, which was something that i just started to do i think i've made those two spec ads maybe a couple of other small things i don't i don't think i'd done much for actual money at the time mm-hmm. um, so everything was still being filmed on my phone um and i made a few videos about my my life over there and um i really enjoyed that time but it was also like a pretty isolating time um it's it's different for a couple of months when you're not around your usual support network and i went over there at the time too i was going out with a girl and just the the distance and the, the the time difference and everything just became too much for us. And of course. we don't we'd only been going out a year, I think, at the time. But um, we ended up breaking up, and that was another kind of layer in the uh, the compounding isolation. Mm. Um, so that was tough. But uh, I came back from that experience. Came back to Ireland. Um, finished the degree I was studying in college, and knowing that I could move to a different country and kind of survive on my own for those few months and, you know, uh, just an absolute culture shock gave me the confidence to set up my own video business. Um, so yeah, because of that, I think it's the single most transformative travel experience I've had. Fair play. Do you still vlog? And would you say that it's, you know, a lot of people are vlogging now. A lot of people are documenting their life. A lot of people's mm-hmm. lives really aren't that interesting when they vlog it and they say about, you know, their daily stuff. Do you, or would you consider the thought with therapeutic and do you still do it? Uh, yeah, excellent question, right? So I I think to to just comment on one thing that you said there, a lot of people's lives maybe for the general public aren't worth vlogging. And of that course. was probably the case for me when I started to. But I think there's an immense amount of value that somebody can get for from looking back at what they were doing in a certain place in time and mm. like what their music choice was like and their editing style like that's what i really like looking at with my old videos and it's like heavily cringeworthy material naturally <laughs> um which i think is a good sign too you know if you weren't cringing you maybe wouldn't be uh um developing or you mm. know yeah. um but um yeah so i do still and this isn't actually something i've ever that i ever talk about there's a very small amount of people that know that i do this so um about i think it was maybe last summer last may i started a new series on youtube and this is like the third or fourth time i've done this um the difference being this time i haven't 
tried to adhere to like crazy upload schedules of one per day or three per week or anything like that. Now I'm just kind of uploading as I feel like it. And it's, it's probably going to end up being a series with uh, over a hundred episodes, but you know, even in the last year, I've only done like seven, maybe eight. Okay. Um, and that series in itself is called On Purpose. And it's about me trying to find more purpose in my work because naturally I do quite a lot of um, corporate stuff to keep mm-hmm. the lights on and yes, naturally. maintain a, a certain type of lifestyle that I've built for myself. Um, but that type of work isn't generally that fulfilling to me so Mm. uh, as a result I've decided to try and land at the intersection between what I want to do and what I'm good at which I think is documentary filmmaking with a particular emphasis on telling stories that I feel like can uh, improve people's lives by either just making them smile or maybe something a bit deeper and like uh, encouraging them to have more empathy for themselves and the people around them Uh, so yeah uh, to answer that question, I, I used to vlog, but it's kind of secret. I think the videos now, like, because I, I I don't tell anybody about them, but I think they get like 50 views. Okay. Um, so I have a YouTube channel that since my old vlogging days still has like 500 subscribers-ish. So those people um, who were maybe following years and years ago might still get a notification from YouTube. Um, but yeah. When you talk about purpose and purpose in the work that you do, and I think that that's a massive thing in creative industries, as opposed to somebody who is maybe working, you know, corporate jobs that have, you know, you get deadly money and deadly perks and benefits. But in terms of actual purpose and what I'm getting out of life, people do a lot of questions or have a lot of questions about that. You worked mm-hmm. on the Paralympics, though, back in 2018. Mm-hmm. That had to have been not only a very special thing because it was in Ireland, but working with some of the most brilliant people that you could surround you ever surround yourself with. Absolutely. 100% agree. That was, um, at the time, the most fulfilling week of work that I'd ever done in my life. Um, and maybe still is, man, to be honest. It's kind of hard um, to compare, like, mm. weeks of work. But that was, yeah, that was a transformative job. And it was funny, man. Like, I, I was only thinking about this today. Weird. But um, going into that, I was just thinking, oh, this is a job for a week. Grand. Bit of video work. Whatever didn't really consider like how being around the sort of inspiring stories and meeting the people that were involved and the volunteers and everybody else that worked within this and the relationships with each other and everything. It was just like so beautiful. Yeah, it was a really, really powerful week. And I've gone on to work with Paralympics again. I was I was hired um, on a shoot a couple of weeks or months ago and it was, it was about two months ago and once again just that same energy carried through it was just a one-day thing that time but it was just really beautiful really special community yeah i suppose when you're working with people and anybody who works directly with people in any type of form you know builds the connection and mm-hmm. i'm right in saying you worked with the band moxie yeah yeah so you know them well i mean my, I, I have a question I know their work, right? But I have a question in terms of when somebody from the outside comes into a band or or comes in to yeah. work with a band, and it's very different from working with an artist who's a solo artist, do you feel that you're intruding on their space? Do you feel that you're part of it? Is that just different bands? Because some bands would be quite welcoming of an outsider. Others would be like, hold on, we have an idea here. 
you know, and you're given some type of creative rope, but ah, hold on a minute. That's a good question as well. You've done your research. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the Moxie story is an interesting one. When I was, I think I just finished college. This was maybe yeah, 2018. And um, one of the lads in the band, Joss, he's on the keys. Um, tall, fair, tall lad, uh, red hair, Sligo. Um, and he was good friends with a few of my mutual friends. And we were all really into the music. And then one of my friends was like, oh, like you should like get off them and do some videos of them. And I was like, yeah, geez, I'd love to do that. And then this other friend was like, yeah, like they'd be going on tours and stuff. And like, that'd be a great experience for you too. And like, mm. you love the music. So you could do music videos and stuff with them too. And I was like, yeah, okay. How are we going to do this? You know, how are we going to, because like I had only met Joss once or twice in passing, you know? Okay. I was like, how are we going to engineer this, this working relationship? And it was around about Christmas, first or second week of Christmas. And I grabbed one of my mutual friends and got him to text Joss on a day where I knew they were going to be on Grafton Street, just having a bit of a mess around, doing a bit of busking to, uh, I suppose, garner some uh, interest in a in a event that they were playing at. And um, went down, shot a bit of footage, made a video that like further emphasized that they were playing a gig at this time in this place. And they loved it. And then... A couple of weeks later, they were flying out to Glasgow to play at the Celtic Connections Music Festival. It's just like a traditional Irish thing. I think it's just for a weekend. Okay. And, um, their manager at the time uh, was sick. So he was unable to go to Glasgow. And they asked if I wanted to go in his place and make a short video about the experience. And so naturally, I, I jumped at that opportunity and went over to Glasgow and had... Um, a brilliant couple of days with the lads got on really well with them and made a video that I was really proud of. And funnily enough that you asked that I was only uh, watching it or even um, subjecting my girlfriend to watching it with me. A couple <laughs> of weeks ago. And I think it holds up. I think the video is still good. Mm. Uh, a couple of weeks later then again, they were heading to Canada for a tour out there and um there was a good bit of him and hawing over whether or not I'd be able to go. And um, I was in the end. And we went to Toronto all the way up to Montreal. So the east coast of Canada. And that was, I think, a two-week trip. Um, and that was immense crack. Um, really, really good memories from that trip. Um, so, yeah, it's been a good relationship with them since. I don't, I don't know if they're still uh, making as much music as they were. But... Um, Went and did a music video with them, I think, most recently was 2021. And yeah, once again, just so much love for them and, and the crack that they have. And you directed a music video for Maliki as well, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, a couple. Like, if you get into a project, you're given a brief, say, for Toxic, mm-hmm. or you're you're allowed to listen to the track before anybody else is. You know, you might be able to listen to a few songs off an upcoming EP or off an album, uh, or you might meet that person for a pint or a cup of coffee. You get talking to them and get the feel and the vibe. Are you good at taking direction? And are you are you good at when you're allowed to let run with something? Are you good at that as well? I have a personal preference for the latter. Um, <laughs> I've, I've never really been that good at being told what to do. But I'm I'm a good collaborator. I'll say that. Okay. Um, but if somebody is 
telling me how they want to do something and I don't agree with it, I find it very hard to mm-hmm. uh, to just kind of agree with that. But if somebody has a creative idea and they're not quite sure how to communicate it, I'm very good at that. So okay. as was the case with Moxie and with Maliki, they both had very strong ideas about the kind of visuals that they wanted to have and the tone and the colors and the pace. And it was just a case of um, the two of us or the groups of us in, in actually both cases um, figuring out how to actually do that logistically. And then there's sometimes there's music videos that an artist will just send to me. And I think what can be actually really valuable is just getting my feedback without hearing what they think the song is about at all. Mm-hmm. And that's happened a few times too. Um so yeah, I guess it, it's it's very much a case by case basis when it comes to music videos. But my personal preference is what I just described there, where they send me the track, I give them some feedback, they tell me about what they think about the feedback, and then maybe we meet up and flesh it out a bit more before, um, you know, actually locking in and, and going for it. Well, moving away, perhaps then from music videos, I want to talk about a recent project that you're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and correct me if I'm saying the wrong title of it Death or The Death of Terence Wheelock Correct Is that correct? For anybody mm-hmm. that doesn't know What's it about? And I suppose Dealing with such issues as what it is mm-hmm. Did you struggle personally with that? Yeah I'll describe what it's about mm. So and I have to be very careful when I when I described this. I was describing it to a family member the other day, and my dad said that I was, um, I was overly harsh on on certain, uh, certain governmental uh, agencies. I don't know if you want to call the Guardi that, but okay, I'll just get into it. Okay, so, go for. It. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Gloves are off. <laughs> <laughs> In two thousand five, there was. A 20-year-old man called Terence Wheelock, um, taken into Garda custody over a crime that he didn't commit. And two hours after arriving to the Garda station on Store Street in Dublin, he was in a coma. And the official explanation of how that happened is something that the family and the community and I personally think anybody else who looks at the official story finds it hard to believe. And it's been a weird one, right? It's in one way, it feels very fulfilling to be a part of something and to feel like I'm on the right side of history and, and to be playing a small part in hopefully getting the family what they want here in the form of justice which is hopefully a new independent investigation of the case any investigation that's taken place so far has been conducted by the guardie themselves so what the family are looking for and what i think is is fair is um an independent one so on the one side it's it's been fulfilling to be a part of it but it's also been tough and it's it's affected my sleep. I'm not going to lie. Okay. And it's kind of affected my mood and stuff too, you know, because it's, it's necessary, I think, to show 
the coroner's photos from the body, which has um, many unexplainable bruises and lacerations on Terence's body. Without going too far into the, the facts, if anybody who's listening wants to, they can, of course. But mm-hmm. um, the official story is that he hung himself on his knees um, after being asleep in the cell for two hours. Um, there are many other inconsistencies, like, you know, the simple stuff like all the clocks uh, in Store Street Garda Station apparently that day were were off on the custody record. The initial Garda who arrested him's name was scratched out and replaced with the Vanguard's name. He was left with um, the cord from his tracksuit bottoms, which is um, supposed to be taken away from anybody going into a cell to prevent self-harm. And, and even the um, what he apparently hung the, the drawstring off was basically mm-hmm. like a light switch that an engineer who investigated the cell said he would have needed tools to get it off the wall. And apparently Terrence took this off with his bare nails. Okay. Um, so as I say, there's just there's so many inconsistencies mm-hmm. um, in the story and when it was initially brought to me by the producers i just i couldn't believe it um so i did my own research and then came back to them and said like let me do this for free like i, I want to make this documentary and so that's what we've been doing we're looking for yeah we've we've shown it at the, the belfast film festival so far mm-hmm. um, we're looking to get it shown in the ifi at the end of september they've got a documentary festival on and then apart from that we might end up just releasing it on youtube um if there's no tv channels who are interested in taking it mm-hmm. um, i highly doubt rte are, are going to <laughs> go after something like this especially in, in light of recent developments but um uh yeah there, there was kind of light talks with tv3 um i think it'd be good for them mm-hmm. uh, we might have to change the content of it a bit as well because as i say there's there's a lot of photos of a dead body in this documentary. Okay. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, has it been troubling to um, edit? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I would imagine. I would imagine so. Do you think, though, Michael, that there's an element of when you have to show the really bad, the gruesome, to actually get the point across? Yeah. Hundred percent. So it's actually in the the twenty minute version of the documentary that was shown at at um, Belfast. At a certain point, when we're in the sitting room, and we're there with Orla, um, who's Terence's older sister, and Sammy, who's Terence's older brother, and they're kind of spearheading the campaign at the minute. Still, all these years later, seventeen years later, mm-hmm. they're kind of at the forefront for it. Still, um, trying to get justice for the younger brother, and um, they obviously have all the um, quite a lot of the evidence anyway printed out and, and they were going to be showing us the coroner's photos in person okay and Orla says I, I don't know if we need to record those you know she's she's kind of apprehensive she says maybe maybe don't show the neck photos but myself and um, the executive producer Adam were both there and we, we said listen I think it's it's good to show them you know it's it's good that people actually, almost are affronted by how gruesome these things are in order to really get them to think, you know, um, in the trailer, I think that we posted on Instagram, the neck photos are censored. Okay. Um, but in the actual, the doc itself, they're not. And yeah, they're pretty gruesome, but as you say, like it's sometimes necessary to show gruesome things. 
Okay, fair. I, I, I can understand that. It, it's it's impactful. Moving from something that is definitely in the physical, and what we're going to talk about next can also manifest itself into the physical. You done a documentary that went out in RTE called I'm Fine. Mm-hmm. And if I'm right in saying it's about mental health, but specifically and particularly in men. Mm-hmm. It's something that we just keep it keeps coming up and keeps coming up and keeps coming up, you know, positive mental health, well-being, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not trying to be flippant, by the way, when I when I say that. No, I know. Do you feel that, do you feel that it was important to make that specifically in Ireland? Yeah, I think um, it's still the case that um, Ireland has the highest rate of suicide in Western Europe, at least. And I think men uh, commit suicide at a rate of like 10 to one um, that women do. And there's obviously a lot of factors in, in that mental women thing too, but um, yeah, um, it, it definitely felt like an important one to make at the time. COVID especially as well was a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was something that I think a lot of people, including myself and the lads who made it with me, um, got a lot out of, you know. Well, for anybody, sorry to get across, Michael, that hasn't seen it, you know, yeah. what, what's sort of the premise? What's sort of the premise of it, really? Yeah, so I'm fine is, uh, it was initially actually intended for the RTE player, and it was meant to be a four-part series of, say, you know, 20-minute episodes each. Mm-hmm. And we were initially commissioned to make it for the RTE player, and the premise was to have four young men who from an external perspective were excelling um so we had Lorcan um who was playing for Dublin um as a senior hurler we had Maliki uh, who we previously mentioned we had Ray Canellan who was playing senior football for Westmeath and had played um Aussie rules over in, in Australia and then we had Connor O'Keefe, who's an ultra marathon runner. Mm-hmm. And myself and the lads that made this documentary knew that all of these guys had their own story to tell around mental health. And and it, it was never stories that anyone who didn't know them would know. So we thought that if we were able to show one, that the guys who seemed like they were doing really well maybe weren't. Mm-hmm. Two, that what got them out of their negative place was communication. Mm-hmm. That it would encourage more men in Ireland to communicate with each other. Myself and the, the two lads, I'll, I'll start naming them, sorry, Andy and Connor. Um, we'd all, uh, and with each other, always been very open. Um, and we were always kind of good communicators. I, I feel very grateful to kind of come from like a, a personal uh kind of place like the relationships i had growing up i was i always felt comfortable being open and communicating about mm-hmm. uh, what i was going through and i i just don't think that's the case for everybody mm. um so we wanted to not only showcase that there were lads who seemed like they were doing well and weren't and it was okay to talk um but we also wanted to offer that as a solution you know communication at least as a first step do you think yeah. the film helped anybody like, is it one of those situations, if it helps one person, that's that's the job's done? 
or is it something like you know we'll, we'll never actually maybe get to see or hear of the mm. the many people who've seen it that it did help yeah good question i think it, it was really one of those ones that if it just helped one person it was worth it you know but the lads who were involved as contributors were inundated with instagram dms and tweets and facebook messages and everything from people who had seen it not just young men but people who had been around young men and either had lost somebody or it had a positive effect on a loved one of theirs um yeah for weeks afterwards um i think we only got the or t2 stats but i think over five hundred thousand people watched it um and then a lot on the player as well but maybe not as much okay. um, and I think yeah some people might have watched first on the player and then again on on TV um, but yeah okay well look I'm gonna bring you from very serious to the slightly more you know quick fire jovial I asked the same questions to absolutely everybody because we're coming to the end of the interview because I've kept you um, I've kept you long enough Michael long enough I asked know. The same questions to everybody. Nobody ever answers them quick fire, but we'll see. We'll I'm see. Gonna we'll see. You're going to try. try. I should have done my research. If it's the same questions every time, I could have done it. Sorry, go on. You're okay, you're okay. Um, if you were a drink, alcohol, or otherwise, what would you be? People say, I'm like a pint of Guinness because um, Americans are fascinated with me and people pretend to like me. Interesting. I'd be a whiskey sour um, because... Generally, I'm sweet, but there's there's a little bit of tinge of something going on. And <laughs> I always describe. I love it. I love it. If you had a superpower, what would it be, and what would you do with it? Um, time travel, and I would do good for the world. Fantastic! Like your answer. Mm-hmm. What's your go-to hangover food drink? What's what's the go-to? What's 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 God. you know pulling you through it? What's after ten hours of not eating your your go-to meal, or what pulls you through if you're feeling a little bit oh I need it you know. I, I hate saying this and I hate when I do it, but it would be a spice bag and a can of Coke. I mean, you know what I mean? That's What's wrong with it? You know what I mean? What's wrong with it? Well, I'll, there's plenty wrong with it, but I don't know <laughs> if I can go into it in the fucking quick fire round. <laughs> we'll pick that up at a later date, say. Next question. If you're going to date with anybody living or dead, what who would it be and what would you do? Uh, it would be my girlfriend and we would go out for sushi and then go to the cinema afterwards. Oh, because he knows she listened to this after. <laughs> <laughs> she probably will too, yeah. Uh, it's lovely. It's lovely. I mentioned her. Sorry, go on. Oh, that's lovely, no, really. That's lovely. It's yeah. lovely. Yeah. So, final question. I have a magic ball in front of me. Mm-hmm. And if I'm asking a singer this, I usually say, what stadium would you want to play in? Or would it be a local? Or if I could bring you at any gig... If I could give you any project oh, wow. to work on, whether you be leading it, whether you be supporting in it, or working mm-hmm. with collaboratively, collaboratively with somebody, what would that mm-hmm. be? Oh, when people ask me this, I always say like I'd love to do something big with Guinness or Nike. Okay, uh, Apple would be cool too, but it's just it's it's not really as much my bag. But I I really like sport, and I think there's always a story in sport. Mm. Um, to kind of flesh out the answer, though, I'm going to say I'd love to do a a series of documentaries for say TV or for social media about Paralympians for Nike. Interesting, interesting. I like that. I like that. I like that. Look, 
Michael, we have come to the end. For anybody that's listening, where can they find your work? Where can they contact you? How can they contact you if they want to get involved with something that you're doing or, you know, um, get you to maybe come and work with them or work with their business or work on a project, all your socials, your email, all the usual crack. Yeah, man. Um, easiest way to contact me is definitely Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. For my sins, I spend way too much time there anyway, but <laughs> it's, it's the great visual medium. Um, and I'm at Fitzy, which is f treble e t z y and then similarly my email if, if somebody doesn't have instagram is hello at feetsy.com spelled the same way fantastic fantastic michael fitzpatrick thank you very much indeed jack donnelly thank you